friendship. Rhodes? Where we're going, we don't need Rhodes. I am your father. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. You're listening to After the Ending, the only film podcast where we tell you what happens after the ending of your favorite films. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Spring and Phil Edwards. Hello! (laughs) See what I did there, Phil? Spooky, spooky, spooky. (laughs) Hello, everybody, and welcome to After the Ending. It is our annual Halloween extravaganza, hence my uh, spooky intro there. Uh, And as always, I am Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And we are here to talk about movies and all the usual stuff. But, uh, of course, we have our it's our Halloween theme. We like to do a Halloween episode every year. Uh, we like to go after the ending of a horror movie, do a, a themed top five list. And we got some good stuff for you tonight. Right, Phil? We certainly have. And it's six at the time of recording. It's six, is it six days until Halloween? Uh, that sounds accurate. Yes, yeah, six days till Halloween. Six more days till Halloween. Halloween. Okay. <laughs> Yes, it's spooky season, a time of witches, goblins, serial killers. Uh, of course, Phil's got to get a serial killer in there. Lots and lots of horror movies. 2022 has been a pretty good year for horror movies so far. Some decent ones, well, quite a lot anyway. Okay. But, uh, yeah, I'm going to be looking, diving into some horror movies this evening. Yes, we will. Do you want to tell them what we're diving into? Yes, we're going to be going after the ending of Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, which as... You'll probably know doesn't feature Michael Myers. The original intention was for the Halloween films to be an anthology. So every, they'd be set at Halloween, but each one would be a little bit different. But we have two with Michael Myers, then Season of the Witch. And then they went, oh, people like Michael Myers. Yeah. And then the yeah. film they went. <laughs> well, now, sort of. I mean. It's in pieces of good. It's in pieces there's, good. there's. I think there's some, some kind of like cult B movie love for Halloween's four, five, and six. Like I enjoy yeah. those movies, even yeah. though they're not great. Uh, six is especially the kind of the worst one, but four and five are actually like I find to be perfectly enjoyable slasher films. Michael Myers, like just doing what he does. You know, they're not they're not high art. They don't reach the the heights of the first two films. But like for just if you just want to have like like I got my Halloween box set here, right? My super beautiful, gigantic Halloween Blu-ray box set. Ooh, and wow, that's nice. Yeah, it's I love this, and it's it's got every movie. Um, and I just I like to watch all eight of them in a row, and then we just pretend the Rob Zombie ones never happened. <laughs> um, especially <laughs> uh, because you know they're they're it's like there's only three um, Indiana Jones movies, right? There was eight Halloween movies, and then the new trilogy, and that's it. Yeah, but yeah. I do I do like to revisit. Halloween four and five and six, even though they just slow me down between before I get to Halloween H two O, which is of course a masterpiece. Yeah, so. yeah, and I think I think sometimes those cheesy ones like four, five, and six, and in other slasher movies and stuff, you always get those lousy ones, but the or the ones which aren't as good right. as the classic ones, but they're still good to throw on during yeah. this time of year. You know, especially having a few drinks. But if you're just watching, you just sometimes you want a really good bad horror film. Yeah. 
Exactly. Right. Yeah. I don't need I don't need all my horror films. What's the term? Uh, I saw a quote from John Carpenter. Maybe it was you that shared this. I don't know. It was like an interview quote and somebody was asking John Carpenter what he thinks about elevated, uh, elevated horror. Oh, which yeah. Is the term they've come up with for all the movies I hate, like um, The Witch and and um, what's <laughs> the one, you know, the one I'm talking about, the one with the, the girl, the little girl. It's got the name, the one word name. Um, what's it called? I don't you know. No. The the come on now. My wife is blending, by the way. If you guys hear that in the background, okay. Don't worry about it. Uh, it, was one the, it was one of the Ari Aster films. You know, it's the guy oh, that, Hereditary. Hereditary, right? Yeah. And like Hereditary and, and Midsummer and all those. They call them. That's the word they come up with. Apparently, elevated horror, which I seriously put throw some shade at, and I question that. But they explained to him what it was, and John Carpenter's response was, "I don't know what the hell you're talking about." And I was yeah. like, "Yes." thank you because i do not like those movies so like i, I think they're just terrible I, I mean like i would rather have a bad slasher flick kind of thing than some of these quote elevated horror movies any day of the week i'll watch halloween six eight hundred more times before i watch midsummer or hereditary again i can tell you that i know what you mean but i did i think lots of these films it depends what mood you're in but sometimes the marketing on some of these films you say it's a horror film and then you watch it and you're going no, it's a real dark drama or it's a it's a dark thriller, things like this. But there's lots right. of but that elevated horror, yeah, that's that that got on my nerves a little bit. But uh, yeah, I mean I, it is mood dependent. Like if if you're in the mood to enjoy what you're watching or uh you know to see a good movie, then then yeah, that probably isn't the right way to go. But if you're in the mood for something that's like pretentious and horrible and boring that you only like because other people tell you you should like it, then by all mm -hmm. means elevated horror is absolutely the way to go so yeah but it's uh <laughs> you like the way i'm pulling my punches tonight phil <laughs> oh i really do really do but yeah it's uh i do like a good horror film and i do like a good bad horror film yeah exactly because just sometimes i mean and, and uh halloween three season of the witch has been one of those films i think when it first came out because it was so different to the other halloween films it got a lot of flack but i think over the years it's become a cult classic and then maybe even Almost a mainstream classic, maybe. Eh, I don't know if I go that far, but definitely a cult classic. I think a lot of people. Fans, hasn't it? Yeah, I think a lot of people come around to the fact that you know, if if you're a fan of the Halloween movies, you recognize that Halloween Three is a really good, fun horror movie on its own right that just doesn't fit into the rest of the Michael Myers, you know, uh, franchise. And I, I wish it had, had a. A different name you know and it was just its own movie season of the witch you know like that would, be, that would just be this fun little cult classic horror movie um but uh yeah you know i mean it's i think most people recognize it you still hear people are like oh halloween 3 is terrible i'm like it's actually not it, it, you know i think a lot of us recognize now it's, it's a really good film um but you know if you're and i'm i listen and i get it because i'm a huge michael myers fan like he's my favorite of the slashers halloween is my favorite horror movie like i will watch all the michael myers movies i've seen them all multiple times so I always want Michael Myers, right? So it's easy. Yeah. To, I understand why people dismiss it out of hand. But I think when you watch it, um, you know, you're like, hey, this is a really fun film, although slightly out there. Um, but we'll get into that in a minute. Um, so, but yeah, for anybody who's wondering, again, as we, I think we made clear, though, Halloween 3 is a standalone story. So we thought, hey, we can do an after the ending for it because it doesn't tie in to any of the other Michael Myers continuity at all because he's not in the film. So um, it's a standalone, so we can do an after the ending for it. Exactly. So that's what we're going to be doing. As always, if you're watching this live on YouTube or Facebook, uh, you can leave comments on where you're watching it. We'll be able to see them so you can join the conversation, the discussion. You can say we're idiots for liking this or you can agree with us or whatever. You can say what the best Halloween film are from the first one is to you. 
And as well as doing Halloween 3, and after the ending of that one, we're going to be talking about our top five favourite vampire films. Yes. Movies which which feature predominantly vampires. Oh, well, we'll get into that anymore, but vampire movies, top five. Yep. And then also our usual uh, after the ending recommendations once we've covered those other two bits. Exactly. So yes, jam-packed episode, Halloween-themed. It should be lots of fun. So let's get into things then, shall we? It is time to go after the ending of Halloween 3. Um, So before I do my recap and we get into our endings, um, well, I guess we kind of talked about it already, but Phil, uh, how do you feel about Halloween 3? I know I said what I think about it. What do you think about it? I've always liked it, to be honest. I mean, I know it was uh, different from the other ones. I'm not sure... I can't remember the first time I saw it, but I think I might have seen Halloween three before I saw the original Halloween. Mm-hmm. So I think that might be that might be a better way. Maybe that's why I like it more. Well, I don't right. like it more than the original, but that's why I enjoy it because I had no preconceptions going into it. But, right, uh, right. I, I like the idea of it. The fact you know the the, the masks were really good design, but you know kids wearing masks at Halloween and then bad things can happen to them because of it, it was really good. The whole straight the, the little jingle on the adverts like going on was always you know a little earworm which gets in your head yeah it was also nice because back in the day when this came out uh over in the uk here in here in england halloween we celebrated it but it was never as big a deal as it was over in america you know all the chicken treating right. thing over the years that's changed and it's it's become a bigger thing but back then it was always i always quite liked like it when i was a kid seeing what was going on in america with regards to halloween because it looked like right. a lot of fun Right. Over here, we just carved faces and turnips, which is so hard compared to pumpkins. Yeah, um, we yeah. didn't do the trick or treating, but we did like duck apples where we have apples in a bowl. You got to get them without using your hands. Yeah, yeah. And all those kind of things. But uh, yeah. it was a nice little insight into Halloween, but also yeah. creepy and uh, and yeah, I like it. And it also had some uh, a good little cast of Tom Atkins, Dan O'Hurley here in the right. Yeah, that. yeah. But, uh, yeah. I enjoy it. I've always yeah. enjoyed it. That's good. Yeah, I do too. I thought um, I think one of the things I liked with the you know the current trilogy, which I have mixed feelings about, but um, Halloween Kills, the second one, which I think is my favorite of the three, uh, I did like. Even nice tonight. Yeah. Aside from that part, um, what I liked was the, all the nods to the original, and and they had even the nod to Halloween Three by having um, the masks. Yeah. You know, the kids. I think there was the kids in the masks, or just the masks themselves, but they were definitely the masks from Halloween Three, which I enjoyed seeing those as a little little tribute, kind of saying like, "Hey, you know, we love this film too." You know. Yeah, that was good. I I, I like that. I, I've enjoyed this uh, the new Halloween trilogy. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, uh, yeah, I like it overall. I, I, I it goes like this for me a little bit. There's, mm-hmm. I mean, there's things I like about it. There's things I don't like about it. Um, I like kills a lot because, or yeah, kills the second one because they brought in a lot of the characters from the original story. You know what I mean? And especially since they erased continuity of every film, but the first one, um, yeah, yeah, you know, I thought that was cool, and even brought back some of the original actors. I thought that was really neat. Um, so that was the one I liked the most of them. But I mean, I don't hate any of them. I don't love any of them. Like none of them, you know, um, get me super excited. But I don't dislike them either. So yeah. you know, they're cool, cool enough. Yeah. I'm probably, we could probably do a whole episode discussing that, but yeah, yeah, exactly. Let, I mean, yeah. listen, I, I can easily do a whole episode discussing my feelings on the entire Halloween franchise. I, I mm. am, I, I don't like to call myself an expert because I feel like experts are the people who can tell you like the names of the credits and everybody and you know all the behind the scenes stuff, how the films are made. And I'm not that, but like I definitely have seen them all enough times to have strong opinions about uh, each and every film in the franchise. So 
Anytime you want to do that, you let me know. <laughs> we, should, we could do that. We should do some. We might do some after the ending specials where we just yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, like yeah. a themed episode where we just do a deep dive into something, and then we can also do uh, a deep dive into every film in the Fast and Furious franchise. So I anyway, let's do Halloween. <laughs> no, I'd be up for doing that actually because it's. Uh, I've I haven't seen a couple. Well, of Well, I was going to say if we do that, you'd have to rewatch them all, and then you might actually <laughs> discover how great they really are. And so I, I, you know, I don't know if you're willing to put yourself if you're willing well, to open maybe. yourself. Maybe that could be that could be worth doing. But does that mean we'd have to discuss the whole thing by going? Yeah, family. Yeah. Have you seen the new? Have you seen the new Shazam trailer? Oh, uh, yeah, I have, yeah, yeah, yeah. New Shazam Wait, trailer has a nice yeah, nod. To the Fast and yeah, yeah, I thought that was great. Yeah. Um, all right, enough dilly dallying, then let's get into our endings. Uh, I, I feel like I went first last time, but maybe I didn't. Do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? Yeah, I'll, I'll go first. You do the intro, then I'll, I'll go right. first. Okay, I'll do the intro, then you go first. All right, here we go. So, um, 1982's Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, written and directed by Tommy Lee Wallace, who was very involved in the first two films, um, starring Tom Atkins, Stacey Nelkin, and Dan O'Herlihy. So, here's the story. Uh, after a series of mysterious events, a woman named Ellie ends up with a man named Dan investigating Silver Shamrock Novelties, a company in Santa Mira, California, with a, who have a line of Halloween masks for kids coming out. And there's these ever-present TV commercials playing this jingle that you kind of hummed for us a little bit earlier uh, that you hear constantly throughout the film. They investigate the Shamrock factory. Uh, and meanwhile, we learn that the masks have microchips in them, but we don't know what they do just yet. We also learn that several of the Shamrock factory workers are androids uh, and Ellie uh, gets captured. Dan is eventually captured as well by the Shamrock goons and meets Connell Cochran, who reveals that the masks have he's the head of Shamrock. The masks each have a microchip in them with a fragment of a Stonehenge rock. You weren't expecting that. Um, and on Halloween, when the mask wearers watch the big giveaway commercial that promises a huge prize, the masks will kill all of them, causing snakes and insects to erupt from their bodies, causing mass havoc and killing lots of people. Definitely where the film takes a bit of a weird turn. Uh, it turns out that Cochran wants to resurrect the ancient Samhain rituals and use cult means to gain power by sacrificing children. That's not cool. Uh, Dan and Ellie manage to start a chain reaction of events that kills Cochran and destroys the factory and the android workers in it. Uh, and they escape. But then Dan is attacked by Ellie, who it turns out is a robot duplicate of the original Ellie. Dan manages to defeat her and runs to a gas station, frantically calling the TV stations to prevent the commercial from being shown. But as he's frantically pleading them to stop, one last station airs the commercial anyway. And that is how the film ends. Kind of a nice little twist ending. Yeah. What do you think, Phil? Did I do it justice? It's, it's a surprising amount to try and, you know, put into a small yeah. section there. That's, I, think, I think you mentioned the, uh, the, the, the Stonehenge... Yep. You know, pagan yep. ritual will come out of yep. left field. I always feel the androids come out of left field, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. They're definitely a little bit strange for sure. Um, it's yeah. it is a weird film to I mean, you know, to say the least, it, it it sounds really it sounds weirder when you boil it down to like one or two paragraphs. It it makes some semblance of more sense when you're watching it. Like it's not like, oh, this film is steeped in logic and reality, but at least it coherently like yeah, blends yeah. together and you can you watch it and you sort of just go along with it. Like, yeah, it makes sense. Why not? Why not have robot workers in the yeah. Shamrock factory? Well Dan O'Hurley he went on to do Robocop. So that's right. That's right. All right. Well let's hear your after the ending then Phil. What do you got? Okay. It had been a few years since the incident. Hundreds of kids Hundreds of innocents, we'll say, 
had uh, died before the advert had been stopped. Without Cochrane being alive to complete the ritual, the dark energy had been unleashed with no direction. Mm. It gathered in the places that already had a strange, twisted reputation. Castle Rock, Harrow mm. County, Twin Peaks, Arkham, Haddonfield, Crystal Lake, and so on. Nice. There, those with dark souls found themselves gifted with strength, longevity, and incredible regeneration, and they <laughs> continued their... <laughs> Doorways that should have remained closed were opened just long enough for strange creatures to enter our world. True evil grew stronger as the nights got darker. Yet Dr. Dan Chalice never gave up. He'd been tempted to fall back into the bottle, but he had an epiphany. He was the only person who knew the cause of the horrors plaguing mankind, so we had to find a way to stop it. He travelled around making contacts. A young girl who slayed vampires... An FBI agent who focused on spooky cases. A foul-mouthed, one-handed drunk who'd had a bad experience in a cabin. And a hunter from Lawrence, Kansas, and his two young boys. They would be the beginning. It would take time, but Dr. Chalice had faith. They would push the darkness back. Meanwhile, an ancient mask that Cochrane had been studying had been lost when uh, the Silver Shamrock factory had been closed. It had been discovered, passed around, and lost once again and had then been found by a young bank clerk called Stanley Ipkiss, who decided <laughs> whether to put it on. That's where we bring it to a close. I love it. I love it. That's fantastic. Great. Uh, a lot of fun references in there. <clears throat> I'm not going to explain them to everybody, all of them to everybody, but just in case anyone didn't catch the last one, because that is sort of the one that ties it all together. Stanley Ipkiss, of course, would be Jim Carrey's character from The Mask. So I love the idea of tying in this special mask. And it fits right in, right? It's, it could be yeah. a pagan thing, you know? Clearly, yeah. we know from The Mask movie, it has some sort of dark energy around it. So uh, I like that. Thank you very much. Very well done. Very well done. I, I enjoyed writing that one, actually. Yeah, I can imagine. That was fun. Very fun. All right. Well, I didn't go quite so clever, but I, I think I think I came up with something interesting. Okay, hit me with it. All right, here we go. So, um, mine picks up literally right after the, as the movie's ending. Dan breaks down sobbing when he realizes the last station aired the commercial, horrified by the thousands of kids who will be violently killed. But in a twist of fate that could only happen in a contrived fictional ending, the, <laughs> the president of the United States decided to have a live press conference just moments before the commercial aired. While the station had the commercial ready to broadcast, it was completely superseded by the president taking over all the major networks, and the oh, commercial lovely. never actually made it to anyone's television screens. Oh, brilliant! Thank you. I don't think it works that way in real, like I don't, you know, but whatever, it works in my in my ending. Yeah, yeah. Um, when Dan realizes what happened, he makes his way to the TV station, and rather than wasting time explaining, he simply steals the master tape that contained the commercial. He heads to the other two TV stations and does the same thing to ensure that the commercial can never air again. After a couple of days to recuperate from the strange events, he heads back into Santa Mira. Dan is sure that Ellie was killed when Cochran replaced her with a robot, but he's determined to find either her or her body so she can be laid to rest or rescued. After searching the town to no avail, he finally checks into the same motel he stayed at when they first got to town to rest for the night. To his shock, Ellie is manning the front desk, but she has no memory of Dan or the events at Shamrock. Dan is at first convinced that she's another robot, but after witnessing her, her cut herself accidentally with a letter opener, he realizes she's just been brainwashed. He figures if Cochran could create android servants and killer death masks, brainwashing somebody was probably a piece of cake. With the help of the authorities, Dan is able to rescue Ellie and get her into psychiatric care to help restore her memories. 
He calls on an old friend, an esteemed psychologist named Dr. Sam Loomis. It takes several months, but eventually Dr. Loomis is able to restore Ellie's memories, and she and Dan begin a new life together, leaving all of the horror of the season of The Witch behind them. They decide to start over fresh, so they find a nice little family home that's available surprisingly cheap in a pleasant <laughs> little town called Haddonfield. And that's the end. I like it. I like it. Thanks. Yeah, I'll have a fun with that. You see, that's the thing. They could have done the anthology thing, have a, a new film set for Halloween. Mm. We'll have little uh, references or attachments to them all. Right. You know, have a character like Dr. Loomis could be yeah. a for different people, a shop or the Silver Shamrock Factory could be mentioned in some of the things. It could it could have worked. If they've been popular, if Halloween trade worked, it, yeah. it could have had legs and it could have been a, an ongoing thing. We had a new Halloween film every couple of years. Yep. Unrelated, could have been jumping off points. And yeah. then, Hell, you could do it where you do the Marvel thing, where and then every, you know, every five or six films, they suddenly seem to come together. Right, right, right. That could have been cool, but uh, you know, it wasn't meant to be. And then it would have robbed me of all my favorite Michael Myers movies. So, yeah, I'm true. okay with it. Swings and roundabouts and chainsaws yeah. and things like that. There you go. Good though, I liked you. It was nice. Good. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, so there you go. So that is our, those are, I should say, our endings for Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. And that will move us along nicely then into our top five list. As you know, yes. we like to do our top fives. And this one, as you mentioned, Phil, is our top five vampire movies, which was surprisingly difficult. Yes, because it turns out there's an awful lot of films which feature vampires in a big way. Here's what I found. So let me, let me, I'll take you through my sort of what my journey with this. Here's what I found. Um, I like vampires. I like vampires a lot. And there are a lot of vampire movies. And what I found is there's not a ton of vampire movies that I love. Um, there's a lot of them that I've seen and there's yeah. not a ton of them that I really enjoy. But here's what made it difficult though, was I found was when I narrowed it down to like the 10 or so that I do love, then I had a really hard time picking between those because I love them all pretty equally. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So like, I sifted through hundreds of vampire films and found a, a decent chunk that I really, really like. And that was an, was work on its own. But then all of a sudden it was like, okay, but now how do I differentiate between these? Wh which ones go ahead of which ones? How do I determine which ones to leave off? That was challenging for me. Yeah, it's it was a tough one. My, my list as well, it's, uh, they're all very close. It would, I've been I was changing the order around a bit just before we started as well. So I know it's top five. Right. It's all... It's all sort of like that. But also as well, it's uh, as with all these lists, it's our personal favorites. I mean, some of you will go out there will be going, yes, but they're not the best vampire films. And and I'm sh sure you're right. I mean, there are some brilliant vampire films. But as Mike said, uh, some of them are brilliant, but I don't particularly enjoy them. Right. So these are our top five favorite films. Yes. Vampires. And we also said we went with vampires have to be the main monster. So not things like Monster Squad won't be included right yeah vampire, yeah that was one so if anybody just we'll just get out of the way if anybody's like waiting for us to talk about monster squad because if you're a long time listener to the show you know we love monster squad we bring it up fairly often uh i made the decision early on that i wasn't going to include it um because even though it has dracula in it it's not a vampire movie you know what i mean it's it's really a, a movie about a group of kids and, and monsters that they're hunting and so uh it didn't it just didn't fit 
to me the the vein. <laughs> yeah, see what I did there? The vein <laughs> of the other films. So I just let Phil know that in case he wanted to. But I told as we always, I wouldn't like to know each other's lists ahead of time. So I said, you do what you want to do, but that's what I'm using as my criteria. And I think you agreed. So we decided to leave that or other films like that off. Uh, yeah, yeah. Try to stick with movies that are really vampire focused. Um, and I know for a fact, Phil, I know there's two movies on your list uh, that are not. I know there's, I, I don't know your list. I know because I know you. Two movies that when I was looking at all the lists that kept coming up and I was like, okay, I know you like these movies a lot and I'm pretty sure they're going to be on your on your top five. And there's one of them I think might even be your number one. We'll see how well I know you tonight. Um, but if these both of these films aren't on your list, I'll be very, very surprised. But that means, because they're not on my list, that means that we will definitely have some differences on our list. I'll be curious to see if we have any overlap, actually. I think, I think my prediction is we'll have two films that overlap and the others will be different. Okay. At least one film I know will be overlapped. I'm pretty sure. Okay. Well, you could surprise me because you're weird like that. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> Definitely. You're going to have some differences tonight because I know there's going to be some on yours that will not be on mine. So yeah, my first film's monster squad. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So I guess I'll kick things off. Yes. Yes. So this is our top five favorite vampire films. All right. Go. So uh, my number five then, um, I was really tempted to put Twilight in here uh, because <laughs> I, because I like Twilight. Yes, uh, I know you do, and I like to give it some some love because I think it's a good film and I enjoy it. Um, but ultimately, when I was coming down to my favorites, I, it got left off not because it's Twilight and the, I was worried what people would say because I don't care what people say because I like Twilight. Uh, but it just wasn't better than any of my top five films, so it didn't quite make my list. But it gets an honorable mention because I do enjoy it. Um. But my number five is actually a tie. And the reason I picked these two movies to tie here is because they are both sort of lesser known vampire films. One was like a full on indie. One was a theatrical release that, that came and went so quickly that most people probably um, don't even remember it. And I think I have the year wrong for it. Uh, I'm going to double check it real quick. So I'm just going to delay this even more to keep you guys in suspense while I double check my uh, my numbers here. Uh, ah, I had it. Okay, I was right. I was right that I was wrong. So my number uh, five is a tie between Stakeland from 2010 and Daybreakers oh. from 2009. So right in that same area. Yeah, um, um, I'd forgotten all about Stakeland. That's a brilliant film. Stakeland yeah. is really, really good. It is not a widely seen film. It does not have a lot of well-known people in it, um, but it is by Jim Mickle, who has gone on to be quite successful. He made some other really good movies, um, all kind of gritty, dark films, and now he's, he's he was one of the showrunners on the Sweet Tooth uh, TV show on Netflix. Um, and it's kind of in a sort of post-apocalyptic, like post-vampire apocalypse world. And it's like, it's like just pockets of human survivors in a world that's sort of been taken over by vampires, but in a very desolate way, like just, it's kind of everything is run down and dark and, you know, there's not much hope, you know, um, but it's a, it's a really, really good film. Um, and then Daybreakers is kind of a similar thing, but in a more of a, big scale science fiction almost way where vampires have taken over the world again. But in this case, they are like running the world, like running the government and people are sort of like being used as like, you know, food. And there are people out there who are free still, but they're trying to find like a cure for vampirism and stuff like that. It's got Ethan Hawke in it. Um, and I always felt like it was a really underrated vampire movie that just didn't get much attention when it came out in theaters. I know, I know you're a fan of it as well, Phil. I don't know if it'll make your yeah. list or not, but, um, but both of them are to me, I, I, I put them as a tie because they're both, 
really underrated vampire movies that if you're looking for like a Halloween or vampire movie to watch and you haven't seen them, um, or these are the ones on my list that you probably haven't seen the rest of my bet most people have seen. These are ones that are worth tracking down because they're both really, really good. Yeah, I uh, totally agree. I'd, I'd, uh, Daybreak has almost made my list. Yeah. yeah I, 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 love, I, think I've, I think I like the concept a lot more than the execution, but I still enjoyed it. Right. The whole idea of the, it's like vampires have taken over already. Yeah. That's that's how it goes. And that's just, that was brilliant. I put Stakeland, yeah, I, I totally forgot about that one. Yeah. But I, I, um... I really like that one. I do too. It's such a good, well done film. It's one of those ones that takes you by surprise. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I remember I got it to review and I was kind of like, all right, it's like an indie, you know, but it's, you know, it's, a, it's an indie, but not like indie, like, you know, with like a 12 cent budget type of thing. Like it was like a, you know, a real film made, you know, on sort of like an independent label, like the indies you've heard of. Right. So not quite, not an A-list movie, but not like a Z, you know, list either. It's like, you know, it's in that realm of where it got some distribution and stuff like that. But, uh, I remember popping it in like this looks interesting and then just being blown away by the 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 story, the characters, the action, the the stakes, you know, the surprises, the twists and turns and, and everything. I just I really enjoyed it. Now I want to watch it again. Yeah, me too, because it's been a while since, you know, but I'm glad yeah. they both made your list. And it's yeah, definitely check them out if you've not seen either of them because they're well worth watching. Uh, uh, OK, well, my number five, it's a double whammy as well. It's oh, look uh, at that. <laughs> We're it's, both uh, just cheaters, is what it boils down to. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's what I mean. It was so close. So I was going, well, now they're going to have to be there. Uh, one of them is from 1983, and one of them is from 1993. Okay. Uh, 1983 is The Hunger, directed by Tony Scott. Mm -hmm. So I'm Catherine Deneuve, David Bowie, and Susan Sarandon. And it's all to do with uh, Catherine Deneuve and David Bowie's uh, two vampires who've been going around uh, draining people in nightclubs drinking their blood, living for a long, long time. And then suddenly David Bowie's character starts aging rapidly. Knows that's not right. He tries to figure out what's going on, which brings in Susan Sarandon's character, who's a doctor, I think. And she gets involved. Uh, it gets a bit hot and steamy in places, so it's a bit racy. Uh, but then it's it's a, it's a, I always felt it was a good way of showing, uh, the, you know, vampires, the, the lifestyle of a vampire and what they do and how they... They go about things. It's a, it's a romantic story. It's a horror story. It's uh, it was it's just it's shot really well. It's it's Tony Scott. It's a little bit different from some of his other ones, but I I always like that one. And the other one that's at number five is uh, Kronos by Guillermo del Toro, which is a, it's a strange it's a different kind of vampire one. It's about an old man, a clock maker, I think, who finds this uh, mechanical scarab, which he winds up, and then it sort of needle comes out into him and it turns him into a vampire. He needs blood to survive. And it's all Guillermo del Toro's before he became Guillermo del Toro, I suppose. But it's all... That's his first, first film. Yeah, yeah. It's a very stylish, uh, some great performances. It's got Ron Perlman in. So, yeah, it's Guillermo del Toro. But yeah. I, I always like that one. It's because I remember watching Kronos and had no idea what it was about and just put it on and go, what the heck's this? And it was all weird. Small little film, some great performances, but they're... They're both my number five, Kronos and The Hunger. There you go. See, now I promised people listening and or watching that we would have differences in our list. And look, we're only two entries in. We already have four films that are different. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I Kronos didn't make my list. I like Kronos um, yeah. because I'm a big Guillermo del Toro fan. It's not one of my favorite movies of his. I, I like it. I don't love it, but I enjoy it. Um, and then actually, I've never seen The Hunger, believe it or not. And I, I really want to because it is Tony Scott, who's one of my favorite directors. Um, it's just one of those ones I've never gotten around to. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So I, I definitely want to. And when I was going through looking at this list, I was like, ooh, I wonder if that would make my list if I'd seen it because I love Tony Scott, um, but I just haven't. So 
Um, I'll have to yeah. wait and maybe I'll update once I've seen it. It's definitely worth checking out. It's weird this year. I've been seeing a little bit more mentions of that particular film. I'm not sure mm, why. Yeah, but, uh, maybe it's, yeah, where it is. it's getting some reconsideration, you know? Yeah, yeah. All okay. right. Good choices. So my number four then is from 1988, 1998, excuse me. And it is the Mar the movie that started off the entire Marvel universe blade, uh, which isn't really, but it sort of is the movie that started the Marvel universe. Um, but it's the first blade movie and um, you can make an argument for the second one. I know. Cause again, it's, it's del Toro also, and I do enjoy the second one, but there is sort of a um, simplicity to the first film that I really enjoy. You know, um, it's it's Wesley Snipes against just regular old vampires. Like there's none of the like scaly face, you know, stuff going on and things like that. And it's just a, a really good origin story. You know, Stephen Dorff, who I, I love as an actor, is great as uh, Deacon Frost. Um, just the look of the film is really great. You know, it's it's R rated. So it's really, you know, it doesn't pull any punches. Um, it just feels like a vampire movie and it just gets everything right. And Wesley Snipes is so badass in it. Like he's so great as, as, um, as, as blade. And I just, like I said, I enjoy all three of them, honestly. And I, I really do like the second one, but for me, the first one is, is the, the clear favorite in terms of the, the films themselves. I just really like it the most. So blade is my number four uh, from 1998. Well, my number four is also blade. Wow. Really? Okay. Yeah. There That's one of the ones I thought might end up on your list, actually. Yeah, it's uh, all the same reason. You said it's uh, stylish. I mean, the opening scene, that big fight scene in the nightclub with all the blood pouring down. And we just get to see Blade just kick ass. What a great introduction to a character that was. Yeah. Uh, we got Chris Christopherson as Whistler. Yep. As I said, it's all the technology, the idea behind it, the, the vampire society, uh, the way you've got the that, that big, the huge one who's like, dealing with all the online stuff as well. The only thing which lets it down nowadays is some of the CG, but that's just mm. purely of its time and things like that. Yeah. And, and even luckily, then, you, don't, you don't mind it so much. Well, and luckily it's not a movie that um, was overly dependent on CGI. Like it, it's, yeah. you know, yeah. it's not a film that's like takes place in space with aliens and spaceships and stuff like that. So it's, it's, you know, it's not over prevalent in the film, you know? Um, yeah. So, but yeah, I agree. That opening scene is great. I just, and I do feel like it's one of the more, kind of complex vampire movies in a way in that a lot of vampire movies are like okay there's a vampire and it's killing people and we got to stop it you know or it's like a bunch of vampires like reading shakespearean soliloquies to each other about their boredom <laughs> of life and this is one where it's like you said like the vampire society and the way it works and like the you know blades reasons for killing them and and how they operate and you know yeah, how the they and everything you know that stuff i like all that yeah, it's just a very complete sort of look at, at you know, vampire life. So, um, but but housed in this sort of superhero, you know, approach, uh, which I like a lot. So they go to my number four as well as you. So okay, so we had a double whammy early on. That's that's cool. Or a bingo. I think that's a bingo, right? That's a bingo, yeah, it's a bingo. bingo sorry. Uh, okay, well, now I don't know. Maybe we'll have some similarities then. Well, I think that was one of the two that I thought you'd have on your list for sure. Um, but there's maybe three. I don't know. We'll see. Mm. Still waiting though. I know you've got a couple that are going to end up on the list. I hope they do because I can only remember one of them right now. So I'm like, hmm, if they're not on there and you ask me what they are later, I'm going to feel really dumb because I can only remember one of them. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Um, okay. My number three then is um, one of my favorites. And it is, uh, it's half a vampire movie. <laughs> what I mean by that is it mm -hmm. is 
1996's From Dusk Till Dawn, starring oh Tar- yes, for half a movie, yeah, and Quentin Tarantino. And the reason I say it's half a vampire movie is because the first half of the film is a heist movie or a escaped convict movie that has no vampires in it whatsoever. Um, but as you know, if you've seen the film, once you get to the second half of the movie, it is all vampires all day long, and it is utterly glorious. Um, it's it's Quentin Tarantino scripting and Robert Rodriguez directed. No, you think so? I've gone black now. I think that was a movie that made me a fan. Um, and, uh, you know, it's got that great dialogue. It's got the, you know, just the over-the-topness yeah. that Rodriguez and Tarantino bring to the, the proceedings. Um, you know, George Clooney is fantastic in it. It's got the whole uh, Salma Hayek as Santanico pandemonium, which is one of the <sighs> sexiest scenes ever put to celluloid. Um, yeah, right. I mean, it just got hotter in here just thinking about it. Um, and it's such a funny movie, but it's also legitimately like like scary and action packed. And it's got great character moments like Harvey Keitel with his kids and all that stuff. Um, I, I just think it's a pretty darn near perfect movie and I really enjoy it. Um, yeah. And that's it. From Dust Till Dawn. One of my favorites. That's my number three. Excellent. This that was in my top five until earlier today. I was just as I said, I've been going back and forth, back and forth. But yeah, right. everything you said. I, I wish I'd seen that film without knowing anything about it. Oh, uh, see, I did. I saw yes. it like opening night in the theaters, and I, oh, I, that been so you know, good. I thought I knew that it was a vampire movie, but then I was watching it, and I was like, maybe it's not a vampire movie. And then it was like, oh, it is totally. You know, yeah. so it was that was a great experience. I mean, the internet was around then, but it wasn't that big a thing. So back then, you could go see a film and not know much about it. Totally. Uh, but that, that one in particular would have been so good to just go, and, oh, wow, this is a real good thriller. Oh, they're not very nice people. Oh, oh, my God, what's going on? But, yeah, mm-hmm. oh, I'm glad I made your list. Yeah, it's a good film. Yeah. Uh, my number three is another double whammy. I'm sorry oh, about boy. this. But because they're, they're quite – they're not similar, but they're both 80s vampire films, a bit of bit of humor with them. They are Fright Night and The Lost Boys. Okay. Because I, I like them both uh, – because they're supernatural vampire horror, but with humor involved, uh, mixed in. Uh, the Lost Boys, I went to see a screening of it. It was on the big screen last year, the year before, me, with my friend Paul. And that was really, it was good seeing it again. I hadn't watched it in a few years. Uh, I just, the whole, that was part of my growing up, that film. It's, you have these films which you just seem to absorb and become part of it, part mm-hmm. of your 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 reference material. But uh I always liked that the good cast, the whole idea of, you know, there's vampires and there and the Frog Brothers and they're learning how to fight vampires by looking in the comic books, all that stuff. Some, some yeah. great scenes and Fright Nights as well. Uh, I like that, you know, the guy moving in next door is a bit weird. Turns out he's a vampire. And you've got Roddy McDowell as the horror host who gets wrapped up in it. I really, I love both of them from, you always have, it make a good double feature, but great performances. Uh the vampire makeup is really good in both of them. Uh, just, yeah, lots and lots of fun. Uh, quite creepy and a few jump scares and things like that. But that's my number three. Three. All that's right. So there we go. Okay. Nicely done. All right. Well, my number two, uh, as I did, did think there could be some repetition, and this is one of the ones I expected there to be on your list, uh, is The Lost Boys. Um, mm-hmm. uh, be, and, and, and now, if I'm being honest, I might like From Dust Till Dawn just a little bit better than The Lost Boys in terms of pure moviness. But, but the difference is that The Lost Boys is an iconic 80s movie. 
Um, you know, Dust Till Dawn is not on all the T-shirts and lunchboxes and Funko Pops and all that stuff. The Lost Boys is. And there's a reason for that. You know, it's the cast, you know, with the Corys, you know, and Kiefer Sutherland and all of that. And it's the, the soundtrack with all those great songs, oh, that, soundtrack, yeah. music videos that I watched on MTV on endless repeat before I'd seen the film even, you know, so it made me feel like I'd seen the film, you know, and just like the poster, that classic Lost Boys poster with all the, you know, all the characters in a row, like. It's just such an iconic film, you know, like everybody knows the Lost Boys. And so like because it's a movie that I do love and I do enjoy and I do for the same reason I like the humor in it as well as the, you know, the, the vampire stuff. Um, it edged out from Dust Till Dawn just because I felt like it deserved a higher place. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I love them both pretty equally, you know. Uh, and um, yeah, it's the Lost Boys. I don't know what else do I need to say, you know. That's my number two. Yeah. <laughs> Michael. Yeah, right, right. Good stuff. Okay, yeah. well, my number two is uh, it's from two thousand and seven, and it's uh, Thirty Days of Night. Okay, which is which is a film which I've I I enjoy more each time I've watched it. Mm -hmm. uh, based on the comic by Steve Niles, and it's the one where it's uh, an Alaskan town where they're reaching the time when the sun will set and it won't rise again for thirty days. Hence the title. And lo and behold, some vampires go, "Oh, I've got an idea." Let's go there. But just from the beginning, I just like the whole sense of place and the way it's done. And it's a small community. And then there's the stranger comes in, played by uh, Ben Foster, who's so good. Yeah. And then there's the weird, the old ship is just off the coast. And then just strange things happens. And it's got that fantastic scene, which I love. It's the like the, the drone shot over the town. Yeah. And you just see when it's the vampire's family attack, and it's just the vampire just going through and people running, and you see vamp ah oh, just. I love that the whole the whole setup of it, the build up to this explosion of blood and death and violence, and um, how it ends as well is just brilliant and heartbreaking. But as I say, it's uh, as time's gone on and I've revisited it, I enjoyed and appreciated all the more. But I just love the basic concept. I always like the idea from the comic. Yeah, uh, just that. What a great idea, and how it never been done before. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, but I think I prefer the film to the more than the comic. But it's been years since I've read the comic books. Yeah, that's my uh, number two, 30 Days of Night. All right. Well, uh, you've been pretty good at stealing my thunder on this list. Uh, so you did. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, that's okay. My number one is 30 Days of Night. Oh, fantastic. fantastic. Uh, yeah, uh, absolutely love it. Love it, love it, love it, love it. I've loved it since I saw it in theaters, like opening night. Um, it's it's long been my favorite vampire movie since it came out in 2007 um, because it's just everything you said. It's brilliant. David Slade as uh, the director. Um, he actually went on to direct the Twilight movie and it's my favorite of the Twilight movies. Not surprising. Oh yeah, he did, um, but yeah, he, yeah, he did do one. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, I, I see, I know stuff occasionally, <laughs> but um, I really liked the comic. I read the comic before they made a movie out of it. I remember when the original three issue miniseries came out, it got a lot of, bought a lot of buzz, but it was sold out. Yeah. So I got the paid paperback right when it came out and I read it and I was blown away by it. Actually, I really, I do really like the comic book. I mean, not necessarily better than the movie, um, but I do love the comic. And um, so I was excited when the movie came out because I was a big fan of the comics. And then I watched the movie and it was just so great. And everything you said about it, like that, that, that shot, the overhead shot is amazing. Just the characters are well done. The tension is like, you could like bite your fingernails off, you know um, it's, you know, it's great. It's just perfect. It's a perfect vampire movie. There's not a single flaw in that film as far as I'm concerned. Um, so yeah, I 
just absolutely love it. And it, you know what I like about it is like enough people have seen it that you can talk about it with people, but it's there's still people out there to discover it. So like if yeah, you're one of those yeah. people that hasn't watched 30 Days a Night yet, like track it down. It is clearly it's high on both our lists. It's number one and number two. So it's you know it's really really worth watching. It is utterly fantastic. Excellent. Well, that's that's good. I'm glad it was on both the lists. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I had a feeling right. it might be. So now. Here's the thing. Obviously, I was wrong about both of these films being on your list. I'll be shocked if one of the two films, and I did remember the other one, is not your number one, though. So I'm curious to see which one I got it wrong on. But let's hear your number one. Okay, my number one is from 1992. It is Bram Stoker's Dracula. I was wrong on both of them. I can't believe oh it. Oh, my God. All right, we'll talk about Bram Stoker's first, and then I'll tell you what I thought you were going to have on your list. I can't believe I was so wrong, Phil. Can't oh, believe well, it. Oh, the one that they might be on my short list. I wonder what they are. Uh, yeah, but this is the one directed by Francis Ford Coppola. The uh, based on, uh, you know, Dracula by Bram Stoker. You know, it's kind of a big deal in the world of vampires. Uh, but it's uh, Gary Oldman, Winona Ryder, Anthony Hopkins, hamming it up for all it's worth. Keanu Reeves doing doing an accent, which may be British. English. Yeah, questionable. But uh, I I really I I've always liked this because it's I mean I've always liked the story of Dracula. And I think this is one of the best iterations of it. I mean, it's changed some things with the whole, I, you know, I mean, you know, I've, I've traveled through years, you know, whatever the quote is anyway, but it's got brilliant performance by Gary Oldman as the Count and the makeup. Uh, it's, I mean, it's his, it's his film. He is, even when he's not there, he's, he's, his presence is in every frame, every moment in that film. Uh, it just looks gorgeous. The costumes, the sets, all the, all the uh, the effects and the transitions as well. They tried to do as much as they could in camera, which mm -hmm. is always great, which I always appreciate. But you know, the the, the makeup, the, the different looks of Dracula from the old man to the the dandy about town to the the, the back creature and the, the werewolf creature. Uh, just it does the story so well. Uh, change the changes that are made really add to it as well. There are some poor performances, but even watching it again, even Keanu Reeves' performance, it sort of it fits into the fact he's been stuck in this castle for God knows how long and had these gorgeous vampire women feasting on him and all this. But anyway, um, Winona Ryder, she's luminous, you know, because it's Winona Ryder. But Gary Oldman, my God, if you want a, a definitive Dracula, he's pretty much it. I mean, people will argue because that's what people do on the internet. But anyway, that's my number one. Bram Stoker's Dracula from 1992. All right. Now, I say one of the films was one of the films Nosferatu. No, no. Okay, because I mentioned okay. that one because on a, this year's Halloween, I'm going to go see. A, it's being shown in an open air thing with a, ah. a person doing a live, a live soundtrack. Yes, a live score on a piano. So that's right, right. That's with, fun with beers no. and things like that. So I'm looking forward to that. All right. Well, I'll reveal those in a minute. First, let me just talk about uh, Bram Stoker's, Drac Stoker's Dracula for a moment, because um, I have a weird sort of history with this film. Now, admittedly, I haven't seen it in a few years, but I do watch it every so often to sort of see where I'm at with it. Uh, I was sort of obsessed with this film when it came out, you know, um, because, you know, Keanu Reeves and Winona Ryder when it, you know, had this great cast. It was Francis Ford Coppola who like, you know, as because I was in high school when this film came out and like as a young film buff, it was like, ooh, I was too young to have seen like The Godfather and those movies and the conversation in theaters and, and Apocalypse Now, but I knew what they all were. And I knew what a big deal Francis Ford Coppola was. And I was like, this is a new Francis Ford Coppola film. And then the whole thing with all the effects being filmed in camera and all that, like I was just obsessed with the movie. I had like three different like Dracula t-shirts like from the movie that were all really effective. One of them I still remember was really cool. It had the old man guy like in the shadows, you know, 
with Old Man oh, Lurch. Yeah. And like I was obsessed with the, the idea of the movie more than the movie itself. And possibly because of being so obsessed with it, I was inevitably let down by it, disappointed by it. Um, and as I've said on the show many times before, I used to be, fall very much victim to the hype and let myself get way too hyped up and then find myself disappointed more often than not. Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't do that anymore. But I that was one of those movies where that happened. But I now I've gone back to it a few times over the years and I still find it. It's a good movie. I like it. But it's never captured me the way that it did for you, obviously. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, yeah. It's never quite worked to the way, the level I wanted to. I've never been able to get it to where I enjoy it as much as I wanted to enjoy it when I was in high school when it came out. You know what I, I mean? I get that. Yeah, I know that. I've probably got films like that as well. But yeah. 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 So it's, and it's been, now it's been five, seven years since I've seen it. So it's probably time to rewatch it and see if I have a different appreciation for it, which I have found happening a lot lately where I go back to movies I didn't like previously or didn't like as much. And now I enjoy them a lot more. So maybe this will be one of them, but it didn't make my list because of that, basically. Fair enough. That makes total okay. sense. Go on. What are the two so, films you thought were going to be on my list? I was convinced Near Dark was going to be on there. Oh, no, I, I don't like Near Dark. Oh, I thought you did. No, no. it's I always I like the idea of Near Dark. And I okay. always... Every time I watch it, I go, yeah, I'm going to like it this time because I like the right. concept. Yeah. I like the fact, you know, the cast as well. I mean, you got Brian right. Hendrickson, Bill, Bill, pa Bill Paxton. Bill Paxton. Bill Paxton. You got you know, a mini aliens reunion going on. Right. Right. And the fact they're traveling around and all this stuff. But there's something about it which just doesn't quite. I mean, I like the scene in the bar as well. But I, I think it's I think it's the ending where they just get cured with a spoilers. Right. Uh, but transfusion, and I just, I'm just i always thinking, why didn't they just surely some of them must have thought, let's try that, right? Right, but, anyway, but it's there's something about it which just never sits right. It was one of those ones I always I didn't see it for a while, but I always heard good things about it. And then I yeah. tracked it down, going, yeah, yeah, maybe with you, I had high expectations for it, right? Uh, like you did, same yeah, but uh, same but, experience uh, for me. I then I watched it and went, oh, oh, is that it? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Every few years, like you, I, I watch it again and go, well, maybe this time. Right, right. I like it more with them now. All right. I, I had the same experience where I'd heard how good it was for years. And I knew it was Catherine Bigelow, and I think James Cameron produced it or something like that. And then it's got, like you said, the mini Aliens reunion in the cast. And I expected a lot, and I didn't I didn't love it. And I, I went back and watched it again a few years later, and I still don't love it. It's not terrible. I don't dislike yeah, it. Yeah, not terrible. But I can that, see it like people like following. But I, for some reason, I was... I thought for sure that was one of the ones that you loved. Uh, that's my mistake. Then I apologize. Oh, no, it's okay. Um, we do talk about lots of films. We do. Uh, the other one I thought for sure would make it is what we do in the shadows. That was on my short list. I was okay, I had a feeling that one I know you like, but I yeah. um, so I can see where that maybe just didn't make the cut. Um, so yeah. that's that's fair. Um, anything else on your short list that you wanted to mention? I don't really have anything. Uh, well, there was Nosferatu. There was I think we've mentioned them all between us. Yeah. I do like to give out a nod to some that are um, to two vampire films that aren't great, great films, but I like them. I think I like them better than most people. Uh, one being John Carpenter's Vampires, which I think is an excellent film that I don't think, you know, John Carpenter wasn't as peak by that point, but I actually really like it. And then here's the one that's no one ever besides Twilight uh, is Dracula 2000, which I actually really like. Um, and I know it got oh, kind of banned. Jared Butler. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, and I really enjoy it, actually. I, I, I think it's a really fun, um, you know, vampire film with a you know pretty young cast. It's like it's in that like Miramax dimension films like Scream. It was basically like they tried yeah. to make a Scream version of Dracula. Um, yeah. But I really like it. I like I like the way it turned out. So that's one I mentioned. But yeah, I mean, I, I remember enjoying that at the time. I like the I liked it. They messed around with this. I liked it when you find out its true origin and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah it's uh, fun film. 
But when was the other one? Was uh, I always enjoyed watching Vamp, the one with Grace Jones. A bunch of guys go to the strip joint. It right. Out it's, uh, all the all the the women there are vampires. Right, right, right. Yeah. I've never yeah. seen that one actually. I've never watched it. So, I was probably, right, cool. there's lots of other vampire films out there, but which ones are your favorites? What when it's Halloween or around about this time? What which vampire movie is your go-to horror movie? Exactly. Yeah, let us know in the comments wherever you're watching or listening to this, because we always appreciate your feedback. And who knows, it might be a film that we've not seen or yeah. want to revisit. Um, yeah. I'm so glad you mentioned Stakeland. I'm gonna have to track that down and rewatch yeah, that. Yeah, sure. I'm glad. I'm glad I was able to refresh your memory on it. Mm, good stuff. All good right. Rest. Okay. Yes, indeed. I enjoyed that. All right. So that's our top five vampire movies. So some overlap, some differences. That that worked out well, I think. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and now that brings us to our final section of the show, which is ATE recommends. What are you and I enjoying right now, Phil? Now I will admit, um, and I can go first, or you can go first. Doesn't matter. But I will admit, I. I at the very last minute, I went, huh, I should have found something horror-themed to keep with our Halloween extravaganza, uh, and I didn't. So I suck. Uh, you know, just in case you did, I'm going to let people down. So do you, do you have something horror-themed, or are you on a different I've, track? I've got two books, and one of them is horror-themed. All right, well, why don't I go first, then, and then yeah. you can finish up and make your last pick the horror book, so that way we have a nice, um, you know, we, we keep the horror theme intact. How does that sound? Makes sense, yeah. All right. So I'll go first then. Let me uh, let me do this for the view for those people who are watching. So my uh, recommendation this week is uh, the Uncanny X Men, um, the complete the Uncanny X Men trading cards, the complete series. Now, uh, fans of a certain age will remember back in the early '90s there was an X Men trading card series in which the entire hundred card set featured artwork by none other than Jim Lee, who is, of course, my favorite all-time comic book artist and the greatest comic book artist ever, in my opinion. Um, and so it was a very, very popular series of trading cards. It was hugely successful. So they sold millions of them. And um, what they've this has been a trend. I've got a bunch of these books this company uh, has been putting out, uh, Abrams Arts. And so this is, it's it's a smaller book. But what they do is it's, it reprints every single card in the set, um, slightly bigger than trading card sized. Um, and it includes the front and the back. And um, the artwork is beautiful. It also comes with four exclusive cards that just fell out. Super excited <laughs> about that. Uh, four exclusive cards that takes his X-Men number one, four connecting covers and connects them as trading cards. Uh, and they're exclusive to this book because they were not part of the original set. Um, and what I liked about this one, now I've gotten a few of these books from um, uh, the some of the various ones they've done. They did them for like the Star Wars movies and like Planet of the Apes, and, like Mars Attacks. And I've gotten most of them because I really like those trading card sets, but I don't really have place for trading cards much anymore. So I like the books because I can put them on my bookshelf. Um, and a lot of times it's like usually, uh, you know, a couple pages of an intro, and then all the cards. And this one, the like sort of history of the cards, the text at the beginning of the of the book is about like 50 pages, actually. Like it's a pretty sizable. I mean, the wow. amount of actual text is probably closer to like 25 pages or so. But like it's got like a really in-depth introduction talking about like the history of the cards. It, it has pictures of like prototypes and like how the coloring was done and some of the packaging and um, you know, like some what the, the wrappers look like some of the advertisements for them. It's a really nice kind of in-depth kind of history of the cards. And then on some of the cards in the book, um, they have little like, it's hard to see it here, but they have little like 
tidbits about the cards that are added from like the people who worked on the cards. Not Jim Lee, unfortunately, but um, it is nice to kind of a little commentary. Not on every card, but on a lot more of them than I've seen in some of the previous books. So I felt like in addition to the pretty pictures, this was probably the most informative of all of the trading card books that are in this format that I've gotten so far, which is pretty much all of them. So if you're an X-Men fan or a Jim Lee fan, which everybody should be a Jim Lee fan, um, this is an awesome, beautiful book that I highly recommend. Excellent. It's always nice. It has nothing to do with Halloween. Sorry about that. It's always, always good having a bunch of uh, good artwork in a book. I, I, yeah. I like the sound of that. Uh, before, before I have just the one thing, yeah? Yeah. Before we go on, there was a co actually a comment, but it didn't seem to show up on our StreamYard comment oh. section, but it's on, I've got the Facebook page open as well. Oh, great. But it's a comment from Richard Brown, and he says, uh, he says, like a vampire in a mirror, I didn't see that coming. Apologies, been waiting to drop that in. But he loves so many of the films you mentioned, honorable mentions to what we do in The Shadows, hilarious but still effective send-up, and let the, oh, let the right one in, yeah, from 2008. Mm, no. Very no. no. tone and beautifully I shot. I accept that. <laughs> Sorry, Richard. We will we will not be discussing Let the Right One In on my on my show. I see. I, it's my show when I when it comes to Let the Right One In. All the rest of the time, it's our show, Phil. Uh, <laughs> when it comes to Let the Right One In, it is my show, and we will not be discussing it. Although the new TV show is fantastic. I interviewed the cast at New York Comic Con. Yeah, and yeah. Love the show, but the original movie is no. Sorry, no. Oh, it's in, I've not seen. I. Uh... I don't mind the original movie. Uh, I think it's better than the one, the American remake, but I've not seen a TV show yet, but you can see Mike's, or you can listen to Mike's interview on Live for Films, so it's uh, worth checking that out. Yes. Good but stuff thank you that. for your comments, Richard. I do appreciate that, yeah. even if you're wrong about yes. Let the Right One In. And I just wonder why they, they, they The filmmakers let the wrong one in. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, dear. Okay. Oh. Well, it's uh, my recommendations, huh? Yes, please. Let's hear Let's, them. We'll see you, man. And my first one is a book, uh, well, they're both books, but this one is uh, well-documented, the essential documentaries that prove that truth is more fascinating than fiction by Ian Hayden Smith. Oh, wow. There it is. It's by, what's the name of it? White Line Publishing. It's out now to buy, but it's basically, it's a collection of films by international directors that have been astounding viewers for the last hundred years, delving deep into how these films were made why you should see them and what you should watch next. And it does, it covers lots and lots. This is the, uh, just, it's split into different sections, people and places, politics, society, history, conflict, science and nature, crimes and injustice, short films. But it's, those of you watching, there's just lots and lots wow. of films involved. But it's, uh, it basically breaks them down. It's like a page on each one. You have these big oh, splash cool. pages as well. So it's, you can just dip in and out as well. It's perfect for that. It looks nice artwork. Uh, lots of films which I, lots of films I've seen, but then also lots of films which I haven't seen. Quite a few I've not even heard of. Uh, mm. so just oh wow! Artwork. It's just it gives you a little bit of information about the films, stuff that's Life on Earth, which very cool stuff yeah, like yeah. that. But it's a, it's a great one. It's not too expensive either, and it's just as I say, you can just dive into it whenever you want and just have a read about it, and you could. I think everyone in there, like it mentions some of the classics, Man on Wire, Touching the Void, things like that. But uh, yeah, well documented. Very it's, cool. Uh, 20 pounds and 30 of your American dollars. All right. And the other one is, uh, I mentioned it in my, after the ending, it's uh, Omnibus One of the comic Harrow County. Right. By Cullen Bunn and Tyler Crook. And it's all about this this young girl who lives in Harrow County and then she 
starts finding out where she came from and the strange goings on and it's it gets dark it's twisted but the, the artwork and the way it's written it's also comforting and gorgeous and lovely the artwork is just i find stunning it's all like a proper americana small town cornfields but then the dark woods and it's got various some great creatures like there's the skinless kid who's you going oh my god but then you go when something could happen to them you go no no don't hurt them right so various ghosties and things like that but it's uh hold that yeah, up again pardon hold that oh, up, yeah, again. up again yeah it's uh you're way too fast yes there we go some uh oh very cool work. but i just want to find a good one of the the kids faces as well because it's just you know it's funny because uh it's rare that you make a comic book suggestion that i have not read but i have not i i'm familiar with harrow county i know it's popular um and i uh who's the writer again you said it was it zeb wells or uh, colin bone and tyler Bond, who i do like um but i don't i haven't had a lot of success with horror comics in general they're not my, it's not my favorite genre of comics um hmm. yep so oh, there you go I um so I haven't dived into it, uh, dove into it, um, but I know that people do really like it, so that's that's very cool. But I um that's not one I can comment on because I haven't seen it. Yeah, but it's uh, uh, yeah, it's really the artwork. It's like uh, I think it's painted. It looks like it. Something looks yeah, like watercolors look like as well. It's just it's got a real good style to it. And I know it's a horror comic, but it's also I mean there are some bits where I went Ugh. right. But on the whole, even then, it's one of those ones where it's uh. It's just it just feels something nice about it as well, even though it covers dark things and the characters. The main character, uh, Emmy, she's it's really good. It's but it's when she finds out she's connected to these the dark creatures, which are called Hanks in it. But it's mm. this is this collects issues one to sixteen. I want to get the second omnibus because then I think that contains the whole story. Then I think there's been offshoots, but it was the guys on the YouTube channel Imperious Rex, they were talking about it in one of their Halloween specials. Mm. I, I, I got picked this up quite cheap because I think it's been out for a little while. Yeah, it's been around for a while for sure. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, but it's worth checking out uh, Harrow County. Okay, very good. It's a uh, dark right. horse as well, dark horse. Yeah. There you go. So we, we ended on a horror note, which I appreciate because I, I felt silly for not having good horror recommendations. <laughs> I appreciate you carrying the the flag there, Phil, and, and keeping us, you know, accountable for what we try to do on the show here. So thank you for that. Uh, one more mention as well. We've got another comment. Again, it's not showing up. Oh, yeah. I don't know why they're not showing up tonight, but go ahead. Yeah, it's uh, Richard Brown once again, and he says, and I totally agree with him because this is fantastic, an honorable mention to a slightly older UK TV series called Ultraviolet. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 98, which yep. stars a young Idris Elba. Mm -hmm. and a few other familiar faces but that's great it's got this cool technology and carbon bullets and there's an episode of Idris Elba trapped in this warehouse with these uh, coffins on timers which will open up and vampires will come out and he's got to get out but it's yeah ultraviolet track that down that's a good watch yeah very cool. thank you Richard thank you that's a good one yes thank you Richard appreciate your comments as always all right, so there you go. That is our annual Halloween extravaganza, uh, which is really just a regular episode, but there's nothing extra or vaganza about it, really, except for the fact that it's Halloween-themed. But it's okay. We like it. We like to have fun with it. So um, hopefully you guys enjoyed it. And if you're listening to this or watching this before Halloween, have a happy Halloween. If you're listening or watching it after Halloween, we hope you had a great Halloween. Now we've covered all of our bases, right? 
Yeah, and there's always another Halloween next year. That's right. If you're listening to this like in, say, December, just think of it as early prep for next October. October. So if you're like, you know, <laughs> one who likes to watch 30 Halloween movies or, you know, 31 Halloween movies in the month of October, like you can, you know, you can dig in and be ready and have your list and all that stuff. So uh, there we go. There you go, yeah. But share, let us know your favorite horror films to be watching or any cool yeah, horror TV shows at the like, because it's always good. And as we cover comics as well, now and again, let us know your horror comics and see if we can creep out Mike. <laughs> it doesn't take a lot, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, that is going to do us, do us for tonight. But uh, as always, we thank you greatly for listening and we wish everybody a happy Halloween, no matter what time of year it is, because Halloween, I think for some people, is a state of mind and not a time of year. So uh, mm -hmm. enjoy those spooky goings-on. Uh, but until next time, I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And we'll see you next time. After the ending.